two, three, go. Okay. Welcome to Sports Med Res's This Week in Review podcast, where we highlight the recent news in sports medicine research. This week, we're here to discuss a recent study where the authors concluded that sports participation was lower among children from a racial and ethnic minority, children whose parents had lower education levels or income, children who lived in counties with higher social vulnerability, and children who lived in the southern United States. Here to discuss this study with us is the author of our post, Kyle Harris. Welcome, Kyle. Thanks, Jeff. Good to be here. So I was hoping to get us started. You can kind of tell us a little bit about this post, um, where the data came from, and what attracted you specifically to the study. Sure. Uh, so I was definitely attracted to this study first and foremost because of some of my other work that I've been doing, completing my doctoral degree in the College of Education. I actually saw some a lot of similarities in some of the data presented in this study with some of the other things that I've been looking at in the education world. So what this study essentially came up with was they took data from the National Health Interview Survey, which is a nationally represented survey, and they were looking at uh, participation in children ages 6 to 17 years old, right, so youth sports. Um, and what they were asking parents for was they were asking parents uh, to identify whether or not their children had participated in some type of organized team sports. As they did that, they were also able to extract data regarding where those individuals were, as well as other demographic data, like you had said before, income, education levels, race and ethnic minorities. Uh, so they were able to look at all of these things. And what they actually found was this, this trend that there is a barrier to the access of sports for certain populations, right? So they found that children who were from an underrepresented minority population, uh, children whose parents had lower incomes or lower education levels, uh, lived in areas with higher social vulnerability, they all had a barrier to having access to participate in team sports. And as I think everyone who's going to listen to this podcast understands, access early to team sports typically leads to better health outcomes, outcomes later in life. So I found this really interesting because it paralleled a lot of the work that I've been doing with education, but it also was, I think, kind of a cautionary tale for me of, right, in order to have these healthy outcomes later and in life, this is one factor that I think that we could positively impact in the future to giving kids more access. And I think two of the things that I found interesting was, one, age of this child didn't seem to really matter much because this age range of six to 17 is quite a difference, right? Because the youth... Yeah kids often have some kind of registration fee for participation, whereas high school students might not if they're participating in their high school team. But they also saw that there was no real significant differences between how urban or rural a community was, which was also interesting because I thought that would have some effect. But it, overall, the messaging seems to be consistent. It's the socioeconomic variables that seem to be main drivers. Right, right. And a lot of the the research, especially that comes out of just access to other aspects of life, you know, education, job opportunities. I mean, you you actually see a lot of kind of similar things. It's the same story, but with a different outcome, I think, is what we had said a little bit earlier. Right, But ideally, you would see more access in an area where you have more people and 
right? There would be just more opportunity to get to practice or to get to, get to games, have opponents in that geographic area, but you're not really seeing that. Um, and I think that that really is an interesting take home because I think what it starts to boil down to is, is you know, what do we want these these sports to actually to accomplish later on in life? You know, for me, I, I, I'm very interested in that health outcome later on in life. So to look at this and and to start to see all of these parallels or right, these analogs to so, socioeconomic status, I think is really important. And it's an important thing to point out. Yeah, and I think in addition to lifelong benefits of sport participation, I mean, some of these groups that have been identified would also benefit from youth sports in the sense of having a larger social network of peers that they can uh, get support from, having role models such as coaches being yeah. involved in their day-to-day -day activities. So there's so many other acute benefits in addition to the long-term benefits. Yes. Um, but I, I then think this raises the question of, these type of epidemiology data are very important to know and to identify that there are barriers, but kind of what's the so what? Like, what do we do from with this data in sports medicine or in in general policy? Yeah, no, I think that's a uh, an interesting question and an important question because right, we've already established that this is the same story told in different ways. So it's repeating itself, right? This is something that there has to be some type of purposeful intervention, purposeful advocacy to actually see something change here, right? Because we're going to start to get into the cycle. I think we already are in this cycle. I think if you ran this data, and I don't have anything to support this in the moment, if you ran this data 10 years ago, I think you would see really similar outcomes here. So I think the so what for us is looking forward, right? We we understand that this is this is... Um, potentially dangerous for those individuals later on in life. They're missing out on those acute um, acute aspects that you just mentioned. So I, I think what we want to look at for the so what is is twofold. I think we want to look at how do we open up access to, for these students, right? Or these these kids. This is the that's the most important part. I think that boils down to advocacy. One thing that we mentioned in our post was that. You know, the data from this study parallels a lot of the Atlas data on access to sports medicine professionals. And I think that that's, you know, we're seeing this, you know, this cycle of if you have access, you have the resources that you need to take care of those athletes. So you have the equipment that they need. When you don't have those things, you don't have any of this. So there really needs to be more of a grassroots effort for why youth sports access is so important. I also think, though, Right. We don't want to lose these children that are in the midst of this right now. These changes, the, the advocacy changes are long term. Right. And I want to see them happen as quickly as they can. But I also think we want to be considerate or mindful of making sure that we we still continue to educate children in schools and other community aspects on healthy, um, healthy habits, you know, benefits of physical activity. So we don't lose those students and pick up with advocacy and access later on. We try to kind of get to both samples here. Yeah, and I think um, it raises also the good point of when we think about this, I, it, it almost seems like we need to be thinking in two directions, right? One is um, too often for some communities, when budgets get tight, the things to cut are the 
extracurricular activities such as sports, the arts, and right. things like that. So sure. you have the potential of losing programs in areas that need them. Um, also extend that out beyond the schools to even the rec departments, getting right. potentially town cuts or city cuts. Um, but then you also have the idea of increasing access to the programs that are already in place so that communities that may not be able to leverage the resources of their broader community more there. And I think some of this also stems back to how do we fund these programs? And unfortunately, sometimes it's probably dependent on the tax base, the local tax base at that. So, yes. I mean, it takes a local effort, but it probably also takes a state advocacy effort as well. I think so. I mean, I think that this, I mean, this is something that should be considered at all levels of decision-making, right? I think that, you know, the one question that I kept asking myself as we were going through this, and I and I said at the beginning, I was drawn to, the, to you know, writing this study up because for me, I was interested in those long-term benefits, but we're making decisions as to where to fund programs and what to cut in the moment, right? We're not always thinking about those long-term impacts. And I think that from an advocacy level, that's something that we as, as athletic trainers, as professionals, as clinicians, we can speak to, right? What does this mean long-term? Even though we're looking at numbers on a sheet for this year, what does it you know, mean more long-term? And also, I think it would be good to start to have a conversation about what, you know, what are, why are we offering you sports? What is the purpose of doing it? Is it, you know, to increase competition, to um, to to increase the visibility of rec programs or club programs? Are we doing it to give kids the opportunity to learn how to move their bodies, the opportunity to do that, and and the opportunity to give them something to do? You know, I think that those two perspectives are incredibly different, and they're going to drive a certain decision in two very different ways. And I think that also highlights some of the challenges we have as sports medicine professionals is we're not necessarily trained to be advocates, even though that's what the field right. really needs right now. And part of that is recognizing in your local community, how does the policyholders and the other stakeholders perceive the use of sports? And to your other point, too, about the long-term benefits, it's in nobody else's interest to prevent or preserve long-term well-being of an individual right except for the local government, right? Because right. the insurance company, especially for these kids, they're looking at it from probably the point of view of, if I preserve their health now, they're probably not going to be with our insurance company when they turn 26, right? right? So like, right. they're not us. Um, and in the so lower socioeconomic status, who is the provider of insurance? It could be the government in itself. right? And so at the end of the day, we need to have that long-term perspective with our policymakers because that's the one entity that really has the long game and yeah. at heart. Yeah. And I, I think your, your comment about, you know, we're not trained necessarily to be advocates is, is spot on. It's something I struggle with, but at the same time, I think that we sometimes maybe think of advocacy as something that is harder than it actually is. Right. For us, you know, advocacy can be, you know, having conversations with your, youth sports, your rec department in your town. It can be having conversations with local policymakers, uh, town council members, and just explaining to them, you know, what you know about the benefits of offering you sports, you know, what the long-term benefits are, and just making them aware. Because oftentimes you're, you're talking with someone 
that doesn't have the same background as you, right? So that kind of constant education for us is I think the best way for us to advocate. But I think that word also starts to trigger some some anxiety within us as I don't know how to do that. I've never been trained to do that. I think a lot of a lot of what we have to offer is just our our experience working with with youth, our understanding of what this access would mean for kids short term and long term. And I think that's something that I feel really passionate about, too, is just sharing your experiences, having conversations, being a good representative of the sports medicine community, I think can drive a lot of change. So as we start to think about wrapping up and need for advocacy and um, raising awareness about this, I think this is probably the type of evidence where it's at the subconscious level when you present yeah. it to somebody, it, it makes sense to them. It's intuitive to them, but right. it's not something that's at the forefront of their thought process. Um, so yeah. what do you think are kind of the next steps and things that we need to be thinking of today to move on this evidence? Well, first, I think if you are a clinician, if you are a stakeholder and you are in an area that is identified, you know, within this study, if you are in, you know, in the Southern states, if you are, you know, in a community that has higher social vulnerability, if you are in a community that has a really diverse population, you want to be aware that this is something that is accurate and you might want to look for opportunities to find ways to play a positive role and open up this access. I think that's really important. Um, I think the other thing that we can start to do, everyone can start to do, regardless of where you are, regardless of your your access, your the access for kids to youth sports, is I think we can start to recognize that, you know, there are systematic barriers here that we can play a role in, in working to break down through that advocacy, you know, and if you're not comfortable with that, start to find ways to link up with someone who is, right? Even though you don't need an, ad, an advocate right this second, doesn't mean that you're not going to need an advocate in the future. So starting to develop that advocacy mindset as well, um, I think would benefit even if you if you read this this post or the study, if you read it and you don't recognize that you're in this situation yourself or your kids are not in this situation, right? That this is just one situation of many. Perfect. Thanks, Kyle. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, Jeff, I really appreciated this. Thank you for letting me talk about this. Of course. Thanks for coming today. I appreciate you joining us for this discussion. And if you're an athletic trainer who's looking for evidence-based practice CEUs, then please check out our nine online evidence-based practice courses available through the Human Kinetics website. We'll have links to our summaries and the courses on our website and in the show notes. Remember, you can always follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'll be back soon with more sports medicine research. Until then, have a fun one.